Welcome to Audience First, a podcast for tech marketers looking to break out of the echo chamber to better understand their audience and turn them into loyal customers. Every week, Danny Wolf has brutally honest conversations with busy tech buyers about what really motivates them, the things they hate that vendors do, and what you can do about it. Get access to practical information on how to build authentic relationships with your audience. Listen to and talk with your buyers and apply real customer insights to your strategies and tactics. You owe it to the world to unmute your mic. Are you ready? Welcome to another episode of Audience First. I am super stoked to have the wonderful George Alfura. Did I pronounce your last name right? You did. Thank you. I'm the... The Butcher of Last Names. That's a, my official title after 39, 40 episodes. <laughs> anyway, it's nice to have you. Thank you for your flexibility. We've we've rescheduled a few times. My fault. I've been, you know, up and down these past few weeks. So I appreciate it. Well, I mean, like you have a kid and uh, I don't. So I am, you know, kind of still a child compared to you in terms of responsibility <laughs> levels. So when you tell me, hey, man, something's come up, it's all good. Oh my goodness. That's so funny. I always tell people, uh, enjoy the single, li- single life. They're like, no, I'm married. I'm like, enjoy the single life. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Like I make the open joke about the whole like dink thing, like dual income, no kids. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Making it rain. Oh my Damn. gosh. I mean, it's, you know, my wife and I, we are, we're always trying to figure out oh, when are we going to go on date night? When are we going to go on date night? And all our babysitters basically bailed. So it's like, date night we always go to like a restaurant and say yep two and a half like two and a half yeah yep child's with us so yeah. yeah enjoy enjoy appreciate it i'll live vicariously through you and your <laughs> lifting linkedin posts what's that oh, like yeah. by the way <laughs> uh, hey man we're all nerds here okay i'm just trying to reach out to other nerds that are into nerdy things like me love it Love it. We'll get into that in just a minute. But before we, mm-hmm. we dig in, tell me, George, who are you? What do you do? And why the hell do you do it? Uh, who am I? Well, my name's George. I'm uh, I'm in Canada. I'm a Canadian. Uh, I'm a ex-full-time uh, soldier, ex-Red Force soldier up here, uh, turned cybersecurity professional. Um, so I was you know, in the Army from 18 years old, did a variety of different jobs for that. Um, and, you know, kind of at the end, I was hoping to settle my life down a little bit. And uh, I went on an adventure of trying to start a few different businesses. Some of them did okay, some of them not so much. And uh, eventually I was like, man, I need to get like a job job. <laughs> so I was like, well, what am I even qualified to do? Uh, so a, a friend of mine who was working at a SOC for a major, like a global MSP, he uh, he hooked me up with a job interview and said, hey, this guy, like my manager, doesn't care if you have like zero post-secondary education about this, as long as you're a critical thinker and just show up to work sober. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> so pretty, well, he, pretty good criteria, if you ask me. You gotta remember, like, like nowadays, like things are I'd say like the walls are a little bit padded, but you know, this is back like 2016, even, like not mm-hmm. even 10 years ago. Um, things were much less scrutinized and if you're working 24 7 at a big sock operation right you know you're, you're just part of a shift team mm-hmm. and you're kind of a little bit segregated from the entire rest of the company um it, it turns into a little bit of a farce 
like a, a good one. Like we did good work, but like, obviously like that was sock life was a different period of time. And it's an experience that I don't think too many folks, um, entering the industry now are getting, and that's kind of unfortunate because to mm. me it was super fun. Uh, but from there, yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I, I think kind of the only thing of note for me in the commercial sense is, um, I went from like junior analyst to CISO in like four years. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, uh, I think it's not that I've like hacked the game of, of mapping out an InfoSec career, but, but, um, you know, I, I kind of look for opportunities where I can make an impact and, and you kind of have to take a gamble sometimes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're going to fall on your face and then sometimes you're going to, you're going to win big and your life and your career is going to advance. And that's kind of been the story of my, uh, my life to this point. Beautiful. Beautiful. What's, um, what's kind of your motivation for, for working in the cybersecurity industry? Um, you know, like for, for cyber itself, uh, I'd say it's more of a game of chance than anything else. Like, <clears throat> again, you know, I, I tried my hand at a couple different things. I tried like designing an app. Uh, I tried, um, running a services shop. I, I, I had run kind of what I realized was, was the beginnings of a staffing firm. Cause I, I, I had a little thing for a while where, um, I had a contract providing instructors for like MS office suite courses, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, was pretty cool, but at the same time, that's really just staffing and consulting. <laughs> uh, these weren't really like the most exciting things in the world. And, um, I'm not gonna lie to you, man. Like my, my entry into the startup world was, uh, really just a trial of failure. Uh, which was good. There's a lot of good lessons learned. Um, but from a security mindset kind of thing, like I got the opportunity to work as security operations center. And obviously that piqued my interest in like, okay, well, what is cybersecurity? I know I had spent a bunch of time before I left the army, like going through some fundamentals, especially on my midnight shifts and kind of teaching myself the basics of it. Cause I could kind of see over the horizon that like, okay, well, I think we, um, this is probably the direction that the economy is going. So if I really want a life outside of the army, like, I think this is what I'm going to have to do. Um, I don't know. I, I, I really, I accidented upon this career, even though I've worked in some form of defense or security, my entire adult life. And I find that I try to make every day as fun for myself as possible. It's obviously like very hard. There's a lot of days that are exhausting and tedious and, like being a CISO is exactly as, as hard as you like are told it is sometimes. Um, but I also get to have really cool experiences. Like, yeah, it's, you know, seven 30 in the morning here, but I get to go do a podcast recording with a really cool person that I just met like a few weeks ago. And there's a whole world where we might at our, at our RSA or black hat or both actually meet up and hang out. And I don't know, man, this industry has been a ride. It's just, mm-hmm. it's been a, an accidental ride and I'm blessed to be a part of it. Happy accident. I love hearing that. Mm-hmm. You, you, you mentioned um, that, you know, you started um, dabbling in, dabbling, is that the word? My God, my English is getting like I'm dabbling. losing. Dabbling in, in security and fundamentals in the army. Now, like, I think like 80% of the people I meet in security, the practitioners have a military background that's not accidental is it like it, it's it seems like the natural progression from military background to moving into civilization after military uh after service you know 
jumping into security, cybersecurity is is kind of a natural progression. Is that safe to say that? Because I I, I don't know, like from what I hear from some people is that it's a little bit of um misconception because what you learn in security in the military is completely different than the outside world. So, I, I mean, why are so many people in the military getting into security? Basically, that's my question. I think what it really comes down to, it's not the actual material that you're learning, but the way that you're taught to think. I think that's that's what creates such a natural kind of link between the two professions. Um, like, I'll, I'll put it this way. Ask any person 10 years past university or college or whatever. Ask them, hey, do you remember, like, tell me 20 things. 20 things subjectively that you learned in any of your courses through your university or post-secondary career. Most people will not be able to tell you more than five, if even that, mm. right? You don't go to university for like the content necessarily, unless you're planning on being a career academic. You go there because you're taught a certain way to think. You go there because you're taught a certain way to, to deliver on projects, to, to to work in an organized manner that can be employable by industry, right? Like that's fundamentally what we're talking about. So in the army, they teach you a certain way of running a secure operation, right? OPSEC, COMSEC, those are all fundamental concepts of military operations today. That kind of logic is easily transferable to cybersecurity, whether you're working in security operations, whether you're working in architecture, or even if you're going in sales. Mm -hmm. um, it comes down to having a disciplined mindset, really having a focus on training and on your trade craft and, and really having the ability to communicate effectively. And these are all military things. Uh, I think that's why it's a more natural transition. And, and at the end of the day, if you're in cybersecurity on some level, like I would think if you're working for a, a blue team organization, Chasing the bad guys, whether it's chasing them down for law enforcement or chasing them away from your clients, there's a certain appeal to that. And, you know, you, you don't really get the same rush uh, that you would in the army from that. But here, if you manage to stop a major incident, if you manage to track down someone who broke into your organization, if you have that successful forensic investigation, there's a certain rush to that, that I think that's why security minded people really love doing the job, especially when they come from the military. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. It's a question that's been kind of lingering. Um, given my 11, actually 12 months in two weeks, it'll be 12 months of interviewing security pr practitioners every week, which is like I mean, mostly military backgrounds. It's phenomenal to know. And I love that. And I appreciate that. Um, but that's, thank you for answering that. I know we kind of, no worries, yeah. Uh, went off track here, um, but let's get insightful. back to it. No. Yeah, it is. It is insightful. And it, you've been how long have you been in the industry? Uh, since 2016 to now, so I think I'm on year what was that, year six or seven. Six, seven. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, in the past six, seven years, what do you hate most about the industry? Oh, big one. <laughs> um. Okay. Well, I think. The biggest one for me is uh, the dehumanizing attitudes around product and service sales in, in certain realms, uh, particularly, or sorry, I shouldn't say particularly because this is across multiple sectors, primarily like certain VC driven product shops and professional services firms, along with big consulting firms. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. They just seem to to absolutely turn people into a, a line on a PNL sheet. Mm-hmm. That that attitude is the one thing that I, I really have a hard time with. Um, completely unrealistic uh, growth quotas, diluting the quality of business development professionals and the relationships that they're trying to foster. I mean, you know, you're you're paying people on the amount of phone calls that they have. You know, I was just talking to someone actually a, a BDR last night, and she had originally like done a pitch to me uh and i kind of ignored her like i get all these messages every day she kept coming back at me with like you know she'd send a, a gif that she made it was a custom gif sent a custom video that she made sent the messages like via text it wasn't anything like creepy or overwhelming but just it was her there was like a there was a pace to it and then she started sending me a voice message so finally i was like all right fine so i listened to the voice message and you're like oh, okay like you're actually like a human being, like she, she kind of said something that she would have like researched on my profile and like, actually it was like a humanizing comment. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, cool. We can, we can talk, but I'm like this, this way of trying to work your way into a CISO's inbox or to get that, that phone meeting or that demo meeting or whatever, like she's trying to do things in a different way. And that's the kind of thing that I think a lot of CROs nowadays need to start adopting because if they don't get rid of the whole spray and pray approach to sales, um, I think they're going to get left in the dust because a lot of folks on the client side and the ones who are making the buys, we're talking to each other and we all find the behavior insufferable, right? Like, like George and I started that our, our whole show was based on the fact that we were like, we have to fix this like vendor client relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, another thing too, that I really don't like big consulting firms pushing unrealistic billable quotas and prices with minimal benefits to the individual working level consultants, you know, causing major resentment among the clients. That's why clients are always asking like, the fuck are we paying for? Yeah. Um, like consulting is, it's a, geez, it's, it's a meat market, man. Like you, I, I shouldn't even say that it's, it's a factory. Like I've seen it take people in with great attitudes, great energy, and absolutely chew them up and spit them out. No. Um, you know, they're overworked, they're stressed out, their clients treat them horribly, their their organizations treat them horribly. It just doesn't seem like a good time. And I, and I don't know at what point you allow business to become such a toxic thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then finally, you know, like both sides of the vendor client coin, I, I think causing excessive degrees of burnout um, and, and forming these like emotionally toxic cultures because we have this artificial level of competition constantly in place. Like, why do we have, as organizations have to double our growth year over year? When did that become the norm, right? When did like a healthy 20 or 30% gross margin become unacceptable? Um, I think this is driving a lot of people out of the industry, and I think it's creating a lot of gatekeepers. Um, overall, it's going to impede our progress, and it's going to weaken our supply chains uh, internationally now that we're you know, globalized and further connected. That is so insightful. I, let's go back to the first point, and you gave an example of one gal who, gave, who was doing things a little bit differently. Can you um, peel that back just a little bit and give us some insight into what that bless you into what that Thank looks you. like um are you saying like kind of what what her approach being different what that looks like you mean yeah in yeah. your eyes how what's working 
what what worked with that was she treated me like a human being. So, you know, creating custom content, like taking the time to actually, you know, figure out how media works, figuring out how video works, figuring out how voice clips work, how you sound, how you present yourself. Um, you know, she also just spoke from a genuine place. Like I didn't feel like, like when I get a message sometimes, um, or an email, first thing I'll look for is signs that it's either a bot or it's potentially a scam. Right. Yeah. And then after that, I'll actually look to see the quality of like the person. So if I've like kind of concluded that, okay, this is a real person, I think, um, I'll look to see the quality of what they're saying or their pitch. Cause there's a lot of guys that guys and gals that come at you with a very gimmicky approach. And I mean, if, if it's clear that they're not taking themselves seriously and they're like almost laughing at themselves, I kind of appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, but oftentimes like, you know, you get the equivalent of cyber ambulance chasers. Like if a big supplier gets hit, then you see like BDRs come up and they're going after folks who might be on a, on that, um, suppliers, like, uh, like client chain. Mm-hmm. And so they'll like even use the like, oh, well, so-and-so got breached. You might be impacted by it, but we'll protect you. I, like, I hate that. I cannot mm. stand that. But, you know, she at least, she made it seem like a real conversation. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I realized what it was and I took a chance and I was like, okay, well, I am willing to be vulnerable with her because she was vulnerable with me. So I just said like, Hey, I, I'm not really in a position to purchase what you guys do, but why don't you send me a one or two pager? Let me know like high level, what your services or what your solutions are. Mm-hmm. And if it comes up later on this year, I have your contact, we can make that work. And so she was cool with that. She responded and actually like that. Thank you for you know actually responding. Like I'm just trying out different things. And that turned into an entire conversation about like, okay, well, well, tell me about your organization. Tell me about like what you guys are doing, how you guys are allowing this. Um, because I'm finding that it's a real progressive sign of how forward thinking your shop is as a sales organization. Mm-hmm. If they are allowing you to come up with that whole humanizing approach to, I don't need to make a hundred calls in a day. I might only need to make like 10 calls in a day and maybe only two to three of them will produce like forward progress on a sale. But as I was explaining to um, the other BDR, uh, I think the big thing is not trying to play for the initial sale, but actually the entire point of your relationship, you're building it towards uh, the contract renewal, Mm -hmm. right? Because if you build that genuine relationship and you carry it through the entire first contract term, that client is going to want to continue with you. It's not going to turn into a competition. Yeah. If you wine and dine and grease the wheels just to land that client and you know, you weren't really genuine with them at any point, they're going to drop you the first chance they either financially can or functionally can. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, really just more, are you committed to establishing long-term relationships? This individual who's doing sales a bit differently, they were. And so I was like, okay, I, I appreciate the strength of your model. So. I love that. Thank you for, for kind of peeling that back a little bit. Um, I always mm-hmm. like to hear about the, the good experience, the, the alternative of the bad experience and the bad approach. So thank you. Mm-hmm. So as a CISO right now at Ruby, um, what's your one bleeding neck challenge? I'd say... 
trying to ensure that stakeholders across the organization understand what we're doing, why we're doing it, and um, really making sure that there's organizational support for it, right? Which I, I mean, not just financially, you know? Um, the one thing I, I've kind of learned in this whole adventure uh, at Ruby is when you inherit someone else's uh, security operation or someone else's environment, um, you're also inheriting kind of the problems that they came across. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you really have to then focus on, okay, well, if you're trying to take an organization from, we'll say like a mid-level of, of maturity post-startup world and get them that enterprise level, you have to break down the silos between different teams, between personnel. You have to kind of take apart like the personal empires that people sometimes build in the company. Mm-hmm. And you really have to focus on getting everyone bought into like, okay, so if we're going to be a secure culture at a comp- as, at this company, we all have to be on board as to why things are in the policy the way they are, why things are processed the way they are, why we do things this way and not this way. Um, it's also a completely different thing altogether going from like my first CISO job was at a big military defense contractor. And now I'm, I'm in you know, the software space, right? And working for a software company is a very different thing when you're supporting a CICD Mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, we're supporting multiple environments that we're trying to keep secure for multiple clients, but you're not dealing with like a regular production cycle where you're dealing with software developers necessarily. You're dealing with the client owns the actual environment and you're just helping to secure it. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think from that angle, that's been the biggest thing is just trying to get everyone to stay on the same page when we're trying to implement new technologies or new programs. Um, but on the whole, this is like, I have one of the best jobs in InfoSec and in, in at least Canada, like that's mm-hmm. for sure. Um, I, my company's great. We have a four day work week. Um, it's, uh, it's really cool. We, we do have like 24 seven monitoring, but you know, we're, we use a system where folks don't have to be, we don't have to over-employ people at night or on weekends. Um, you know, I have a very low touch approach to, um, managing my team. Like Mm -hmm. I have a team of teams under me. Um, my whole thing is like, I don't care if it takes you 20 minutes or 20 hours. If you know your deadline for your deliverable, unless you like put your hand up and say, Hey, I got a problem, get it done. What -hmm. you do with your time is on you. So I think, you know, if you give people the freedom to choose what they're going to do with their time, they know what they have to produce, right? That, that freedom keeps people satisfied. And if people are satisfied at work, they're going to work hard for you. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm lucky to be at a progressive company. that's kind of taken that chance. Um, but yeah, just trying to get people on board and on the same page when you want to implement a new security tech, that's always somebody's going to complain about something. You guys are just spying on us. I'm like, no, we're not. I swear. <laughs> so, so as the CISO at Ruby, what's the ultimate goal you're trying to achieve? Um, as I, as I tell my team all the time, world-class security, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, we need to get our security operations up to a point where we can genuinely look at each other and say, Hey, this is it. We're, we're doing this like the best in class in the world. Will it and, ever be best in class in the world? Like I just again, I'm maybe playing devil's advocate here. Um, 
How can I? Is that is that is that possible? And really, I don't know. Maybe it is. <laughs> I think with the right amount of investment and the right personnel in place, anything's possible. Um, mm -hmm. But I think more the thing I'm trying to, uh, or the culture I'm, tr I'm trying to embed in people mm -hmm. is you have to really shoot for a high goal, right? Like, like, do I realistically think we could be best in class in the entire world? I don't know. Right. I wish I had more confidence in that. I'm not saying it's not possible, but it's, it's a mountain of a challenge. Mm -hmm. Um, do I think that we can drive the best possible performance we can out of ourselves by having that kind of confidence, by trying to reach that high, right? Like I'm, I'm a dude that have like, david goggins books beside <laughs> me in my office you know what i mean like that's kind of the mentality i'm, I'm, I'm approaching this with is i mm -hmm. i want people to put forth their best effort i want people to believe that they can actually you know do something great and i try to empower people to have that creative ability to you know if they have a thing that they're hired to do that's your jam you're going to tell us the best ways that we should go about it and if you yep. give people that kind of freedom and just be like, hey, walk me through this. Like, let's just have a back and forth. But this is what you want to do. Cool. Okay, let's go. You lead the ship. I find you get really good performance. We've managed to mature ourselves and grow at like hyperspeed in the last year and a bit because mm -hmm. of that kind of difference in approach. Mm -hmm. um, but that's like, again, just a really cool benefit about working at Ruby. And, and I think even if we don't get to like a quote unquote you know, best in class kind of thing. Being a world-class type organization means that when people, customers talk about your brands, they don't talk about it in a disregarding way because you have continual data breaches all the time. Mm -hmm. They're at least comfortable working with your products because they know at least their data is secure. That's the point you're trying to achieve, right? Take me back to the day when you first decided to evaluate a new uh solution to protect your data let's just say i i don't mm. know what the what the last thing is that you evaluated from a tools perspective we can we can we could take that experience think about that yeah. for a second tell me what happened so this is like past the point of like the demo and everything or like go uh, start from scratch uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll dig in okay I'll dig in. um let's think for a sec so, um, let's say we're looking at a comparative POC. So I was looking at one for email protection. Um, so we, we had two leading vendors like Gartner quadrant leading vendors, uh, run, um, a month and a bit test, uh, of both of their solutions. And we had a bunch of like, like standardized requirements that we were assessing them for both, uh, assessing against for both, excuse me. I think what was interesting was watching the weekly updates with the vendors and you could tell which organization really had their shit together tighter from a service delivery standpoint. Um, in terms of the technology, like the, the tech itself, the differences were marginal, like there were differences, but it wasn't like anyone blew the other person out of the water. The difference that really stood out in that whole experience was watching how tight um, how tightly run a ship one organization was over the other, how, you know, the communication was unified, how everyone was on the same page in the messaging. Uh, if you asked a question, like they weren't giving you conflicted answers. 
Um, and I think sometimes, you know, when you help have consistency in terms of the folks who are on the call, like I think at one point, one of them, like they switched out a bunch of people who were, who were part of the demo account team or whatever it was. And so like, okay, we're three weeks or whatever into this relationship and this process and you just switched people out. So how is that going to build trust? You know, like obviously I understand if one person like randomly resigns halfway through a thing, you can't help that. But if you're switching out multiple people because you're doing a big company reorg, that really kind of impedes the process of the sale. Yeah. Um, so at the end of the day, you know, we ended up going with uh, the company that we kind of, that we didn't think that we were actually going to pick up. Like the other, the other company we had chosen was like, the, was the industry leader at the time. And, um, yeah, I mean, that was, that was an interesting thing where it wasn't just the tech that made the difference. It was like seeing how mature, how, uh, organized the actual vendor firm is seeing how good their client delivery teams are seeing how communicative and, and how articulate the engineers are all that other stuff that you think normally this wouldn't make a difference. That was the whole reason why they won. Mm. How come you didn't? evaluate an email protection solution sooner like what change that this that you know had you decide that now is a good time to protect email well well we're, we're on one of the big cloud environments so okay. you know there are email there's there are protective services on there and there are other solutions you know like we do have firewall in place we have edr in place like yep the reason why is you know when you inherit a shop at a certain level um, you have to go through a process of building the foundational bricks, and then you can start looking at more the secondary level of solutions. So for me, email protection, yeah, it's important, but is it more important than let's say making sure that the content in our seam is running correctly? Can we make sure that we baselined our results from our firewall? Can we make sure like we just, we just implemented zero trust? Can we make mm -hmm. sure that our zero trust authentication systems are working correctly, regardless of where people are geographically located, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, there's just, you have to prioritize what security problem you're going to solve based on your level of development and based on how much financial backing you have from ownership. Mm -hmm. So as it was at that time, we figured out that that was the moment and we had the support to actually run that POC. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously like, you know, if, if I had, uh, a black book for budget and could just buy what I want at any scale that I want. I would obviously buy all the things immediately and then hire like two dozen people and be like, all right, kids have fun. Mm -hmm. But that's not the game. Yeah. Are there any um, differences or anomalies right now in the market that we can learn from to take advantage of or, or from a marketing perspective or a sales perspective? Um, I think getting away or, or finding a differentiator from AI, we'll say AI built or AI enhanced marketing, right? Mm. So, you know, if, if you're going to come up with something that's artistically based, actually spend the money to hire a human artist and get them to stand by it. Right. Cause now it's just like, you're going to, you're going to create this AI art. It's doing a disservice to artists. It's, it, I'm not saying it's, it's like, I guess, ungenuine or disgenuine, whatever the word mm -hmm. would be. It, it, it's not authentic. Um, and I think, you know, people are looking for authentic, 
And it's the same thing with like, you know, how you conduct the, the verbal communication or how you do the outreach, right? Like it's, I think that's really what it boils down to is just the different type of approach. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's kind of what you're getting at, right? Is like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I think people want to see something authentic. We're going to want to see something that's more small scale. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, like we've been talking about RSA for a little while now. RSA is like a big box, big tank kind of a deal, right? All the hundreds of thousands of dollars and millions of dollars of marketing on that trade show floor. And it's like, boom, it's larger than life. Yeah. Um, I think there's always going to be a place for something like that. But what most of industry is going to want to look for are trust-based relationships. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're hiring people that are more attracted to flashy marketing than they are the actual quality of the products or quality of the relationship, their careers are going to suffer because dollars are going to become a lot more scarce. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not going to see kind of like that gold rush that was 2019 to 2021. I don't think we're going to see that for a while. Yeah. Um, so how you invest that money, it really has to come down to like, do you trust that vendor? Do you trust the partnership? Do you trust the product? Do you trust that your team can actually understand how to use it and deploy it correctly? Um, you know, given that the big marketing approach, I, I don't think it's going to uh, be in vogue at some point soon. I think they're going to more want to focus on more regionalized and local campaigns. And there's going to be a lot more vendor investment in like local shows. So like, there's always going to be like the big international shows, the Sands, the Black Hats, that kind of thing. But you know, there's a lot of regional conferences that attract like a hub of business and money and government organizations in a given area. Mm-hmm. that's, I think, going to be more the focal point to do like hard drives and sales investment. Because I, I think it's going to be a lot harder unless you're working for one of the FANG companies or someone close to that on those supply chains to continue to afford to participate in those shows and, and to uh, do this kind of like almost um, machine-based approach to sales and business development. Um, okay. I don't I could be I could be completely wrong, but I just know that as a, as a buyer... And as someone who is friends with a lot of other buyers, all we talk about is we appreciate our genuine trust-based relationships with our vendors the most. Mm-hmm. And even when we leave a certain organization, we'll go from shop to shop to shop and we'll just take our vendors with us. What does a trust-based relationship look like digitally? Because you talked a lot about in-person, right? You talked about events mm-hmm. and hubs and community and all that kind of stuff. But what in your eyes would be valuable and beneficial for your job and your personal life as well yeah. digitally um well i think it's it's from a professional standpoint it's them delivering a good product or a good service and doing so on time and doing so at the price that's agreed to at a bare minimum if someone does that then there's already plenty of reasons to feel good about them even if you don't meet them in person yet, it's all just digital. Mm-hmm. On a personal level, um, I think it's really just about, you know, do you guys connect? Um, I think like anything else and in any other context, um, there are some people who naturally have really good chemistry and there are some people who you just, you're not going to get along with for whatever reason. You're just not meant to be in the same sandbox. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you, you have to kind of, 
be realistic in terms of your expectations and understand that sometimes people just aren't going to get along. Sometimes there are folks that you're only ever going to get that kind of polite company level with. Um, and as long as the business is still transacting forward, then you should be happy with that. Mm -hmm. But if you see an opportunity to connect with someone on things that are outside of their work life, like if you see a cool poster on their wall or you see like a cool background or something like that, where they post something interesting, right? Like it, it takes, it takes two to be vulnerable, right? To make that kind of work. So if they're showing themselves, then you should open up and show yourself. And even if it's just a digital relationship, like I have plenty of people at different organizations all over the world who I haven't met in person yet, but I've had plenty of great conversations virtually um, and we'll still keep up the day with each other. We'll still talk to each other, whether it's a text message yep. or an email or, hey, email, let's have a coffee call. Um, I'm sure you have plenty of friends, especially given how successful your show is. You, you meet people all over the world every week, mm -hmm. right? Like how you get value out of those relationships, it really just depends on how much you're willing to be vulnerable and open up. I, I yep. honestly think that's what it comes down to. I couldn't agree more. All right, we're gonna flip it. It's on it. We're blah, blah, blah. we're yeah. gonna flip it on its head. We're gonna do some fun things now. Not that we didn't have fun up until now, but this is called the shit list segment, and we are gonna talk about the cardinal rules you think uh, security vendors, marketers, sales, everything that's above, below, and in between are are breaking mm. these days. Go. Okay, so two shit list rules here. Um, number one. Social engineering, people like me or my colleagues to try to find a different means to reach prospects, that is a massive no-go, right? Like, and, and George and I have talked about this on our show, going up, looking for, you know, our personal phone numbers, our spouses and our partner's phone numbers, where our kids go to school, whatever the hell it is, like where my fucking dojo is, like, like you need to kind of draw the line between where something is an appropriate business outreach and where you're getting into like the stalker creepy, like I need to protect my life kind of level. Um, the second thing, not getting the hint where there's no interest mm -hmm. for the love of God. If you've sent more than three or four emails and have not gotten a reply, they've seen your email. They're not interested. Like I have, multiple people from multiple organizations where it's it's a comical joke to, i pull up my phone at parties and i make fun of these people because i'm like here this guy sent me over a dozen emails over a period of like four months he's just talking to himself and, and like, i have other salespeople doing the same thing and they're replying to themselves in the threads and i'm like mm -hmm. i've clearly read it i don't want to reply figure mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. out yeah okay but yeah those are my two things What's the worst thing you've experienced from a vendor? Um, I think calling me at, so calling me when I haven't personally given them my phone number, mm -hmm. which I understand like if you're, if you're at a conference and you swipe a conference badge, like some vendors, like the data list gets shared. Yeah. Um, but when it's outside of an appropriate business hour, like it's mm -hmm. 10 o'clock at night on a Friday or something like that, um, and, and more than that, calling me, if I don't pick up the first time, will call me back like multiple times. Mm. And like, I've, I've had that happen recently where like someone just kept calling, 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 they'd call me like two, three times in a period of like five minutes. And then they'd wait a few days and they try again. Oh my God. And, uh, I was like, I don't 
like, dude, what are you, what are you doing? Like, I'm seeing the call. I, I have like, I, I have a phone that tells me people have called me and I've missed the call. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, sometimes again, like, I don't know if people are just ignorant or if they're actually, uh, so terrible that, you know, like they, they can't consider like, oh, well it's, you know, 10 PM on a Sunday night for sure. The sky's awake. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, that's that's peak terrible right now. Let's flip it on its head. What's one thing a vendor has done that made you feel good? Like what what worked for you? Um well there there are plenty of those. I think the one thing I I really appreciate is if a vendor is in the middle of trying to sell you, like let's say you're in one sales cycle already, or let's say it's a renewal. And they're trying to upsell you on some things, but like, you know, there's an unrelated kind of conversation going. Yep. Um, if something happens from a security operations standpoint, and especially if I already have a relationship with that vendor, or let's say I have a, a specific relationship with one of their reps, like let's mm-hmm. say I've known them for a few years or something like that when they were working elsewhere. If I know that their product can help me out, like I'll be like, Hey, can you like, this is my situation high level. Can you produce for me A, B, or C? And I think it'll really help me out with buying, man. I understand, like, there's no, like, money being exchanged right now. There's no contract in place. But can you help me? Um, It's turned into a little bit of a shit test for me because I'm like, all right, well, how committed is this person to being my partner? And it's not that I'm trying to get free shit. It's are they willing to stick their neck out for me and go out of their way to help me out when I'm in a moment of need? Yep. The vendors that I'm closest with all at some point, whether at this organization or a past employer, they've all been Johnny on the spot for me in those kind of moments. And that's been a huge difference maker. Love it. Love it. All right. We're headed to the end of uh, the session. Uh, but mm. is there anything you want to impart on the audience today before we sign off? Um, well, be kind. Uh, be willing to be vulnerable because uh, it's going to really do your career benefit and good. You know, it doesn't mean like everyone is now your therapist and you got to just open up every time you meet people. But, you know, you can figure out moments where you can show who you really are as a person and, and that'll help people trust you more. Yep. Uh, and finally, don't be afraid to just take a chance. A lot of my career, like, again, I don't have a STEM degree. I studied politics and psych. I taught myself how to do this job. I openly joke that I am completely unqualified to be where I'm at in my career in industry. <laughs> But the difference is I, I put in a tireless amount of work. And when I saw opportunities and I sought opportunities to advance my career and take a chance and try something new and push my skill set, yeah, you're going to have times where you're like going to Google for like eight or nine hours. You're like, all right, well, how do I do this? And how do I do this? And how do I do this? But it pays off. Be willing to take the chance. No risk, no reward. Love it. I love it. This has been an absolute pleasure. George, where can we find you? Uh, so you can find me on LinkedIn where a lot of you might see me there. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at George Alcora and uh, I'm on Mastodon, uh, the ad hoc stop. And you're also on the podcast players. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, my podcast, Bare Knuckles and Brass Tacks with my good friend, George Kimid, who is the reason why I'm also friends with you, Danny. Uh, we are on Spotify. We're on Apple pods. We also have a great LinkedIn page. We're on other socials, but 
we are just two dudes who are doing this for fun. We don't have a paid staff, so we just do better updating our other socials. But if you look us up, you can find us bare knuckles and brass tacks. I love that. We'll definitely drop a link to the pod in uh, in this episode. I love that you're doing this because you believe in the mission. So I appreciate it. Um, bravo. George, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for making time for me today, Danny. I can't wait. I can't wait to meet you soon. I know it's going to be soon. We're thinking of um, stirring up some some trouble at RSA. We'll figure it out. We're we're <laughs> finally getting things down. So what? We're a month away. Holy moly! We got to hit the ground running. No, for sure. And I'm super excited. Chris Roberts is on board too, and I yep. think Erica and them are going to be on board. So this is going to be a cool time. We'll uh, we'll we'll hype it up on our show a bunch, and hopefully you do too. Alrighty, George. You have a good day. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Audience First. If you like what you've heard, feel free to follow or subscribe to Audience First on Apple, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast streamers.